Uh, this morning, we're going to be at, um, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 16. We're going to start there, so turn in Genesis 16. Last week, we, we were in this season as a church on hearing God's voice. And I, I got to admit to you that I'm no expert when it comes to this. This is, I am not teaching you like from this place where I've arrived and I got this. I'm, uh, we're just, we're, we're, uh, we're all bozos on this bus and learning together in this journey. I want to hear God's voice. My prayer is, I want to know you, Father, the way that Jesus knows you. I want to relate to the Father God the way that Jesus does. I, I want to know. And to do that, I want to know his voice, hearing his voice, being able to talk, have a dialogue, have a conversation with God is, is a... I mean, you can't have a friendship without that, and so I recognize that, and um, I, I also recognize that the breakdown is on my end of the deal, not his end of the deal. God's done everything that he needs to do, and he, you know, in order to have that relationship with me. So, so the, uh, the issue is on the receiving end, not the transmitting end, and and so last week we, we learned about how God talks to us in just a ton of different ways. There's, God has the whole universe at his disposal, and, and he can use it in order to speak to us. And that was really good. And this morning I want to look at, um, at the humility, at the role that humility plays in our ability to hear God. Because it's huge. And humility is a funny thing because... The more that I think I'm humble, the less humble I am, and it's just one of those things that the more you focus on it, the less likely it is you're actually hitting it, but at the same time, you do have to talk about it, so it's sort of this delicate balance we walk, and uh, one of the things that God doesn't like at all is he really doesn't like fakes. He, He doesn't like it when we fake it. He doesn't like it when we pretend, when we try to be something, try to put on something that we're not, as though somehow we have to protect his delicate ears from the thoughts that run through our minds. God doesn't get into that. It's really, if you think about it, it's an insult to God's intelligence when we try to fake it. God's looking at you like, right, you think I don't see that? I'm God. You know, he's God. He's got, he, he sees it perfectly. And that's where I wanted to start this morning. Genesis chapter 16, there's this interesting little story about a lady named Hagar, or Hagar, not sure how to say her name. <clears throat> and she happens to be the slave of Sarah, who was the wife of Abraham. And Sarah was mistreating her. She was being abused by Sarah. And so Hagar fled from Sarah. And God met Hagar in a really powerful way. And interestingly, it intrigues me. I can't really talk about it. We don't really have the time today. But God actually told Hagar to go back to her abusive mistress. Which that's a whole other topic. But interesting. In the course of that conversation, God, and I'm not at all suggest, anyway, you, you, you're, okay, I'm just saying that's intriguing. In the course of that conversation, God 
he met Hagar in a very powerful way. And this is what it looks like in, in Genesis chapter 16, verse 11. The angel of the Lord <clears throat> said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. You know, I don't know if that's good news or bad news. So good news, you're pregnant. Bad news, he's a wild donkey of a man. Okay. And then verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That's why the well where she was was called Berlahai Roy. It's still there between Kadesh and Berhed. So here's what's going on. God meets Hagar in this powerful way. And Hagar, she has this profound experience and she names God. She, God reveals himself to her as the God who sees. In Hebrew, it's Jehovah Roy, the Lord who sees you. And it's so wonderful to know that God sees me, isn't it? It's wonderful when you're down to know that God sees you. It's wonderful to know that when you're hurting, God sees you. That God sees you when you did something right and good, and nobody else noticed it. You didn't get any credit for it from anybody else, but God saw it. It's wonderful to know that God sees you. Of course, the flip side to that is that God sees you. God sees you when you blow it. God sees your secret thoughts. God sees how your thoughts are twisted sometimes. God sees your true intent. He sees your secret motives. He sees that. He sees what I do in secret. He sees what you do in secret when, when nobody else is looking, when all the kids are in bed and you're up alone at night on your computer and nobody else is looking. You think, God, but God sees that. God sees when I'm faking it. He sees that. He sees my pretending. He sees when I'm just going through the motions. When I'm just being religious. He sees when on the outside I'm doing one thing, but on inside I'm really thinking and doing another. He sees that. He sees it all. There's nothing that escapes his attention. So you see, the fact that God sees is kind of a double-edged sword for us imperfect creatures because I love the fact that God sees me. Oh, when I'm hurting and when I'm needy and when I do good things, I'm so glad God sees all that. But then God also sees the other stuff. He sees it all. And I can't pull one over on God. I can't snow him. I can't yank his chain, pull his leg. It's impossible to manipulate God, boonswoggle him or swindle him or catch him off guard. It's just impossible. You can't do that. God sees. In Psalms chapter 139, verses 2 and 4, Psalms 139 is a wonderful whole chapter. But as part of this chapter, it says this, You know when I sit. And you know when I rise, you, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You see that? God doesn't even have to be close to see your thoughts. He sees them from far away. 
man, I can't even hide. Nope. Before a word is even on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. So God can finish your sentences. He knows the word you're about to say. He knows that. And that's a good thing and a bad thing, right? Matthew chapter 9, I love this little story because Jesus is dealing with some guys and the Bible tells us that knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Oh, gotcha. See, they, they were thinking these things and Jesus completely called them out on it. He sees. That's the point. The truth, this truth that God sees us, it has a profound impact on our prayer life. It has a profound impact on the way that we experience God. Because, see, if I come to God with a religious motive, he sees right through it. If I come to God with some, <clears throat> I want to try to impress him, he sees right through that. If I come to God with even the, the slightest speck of impure motive, he sees that. If I come to God with even a shred of selfishness, he sees that. So the truth is, the gig is up for you and me. God sees me better than I can see me. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says this. It's a most sobering verse. It says that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I deceive myself. I, I deceive myself. Half the time, I don't even really know what I'm doing. It's crazy to think, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm blind so much of the time to what's really going on. So for me to claim that I know my own heart is just really silly. The Bible says I don't. I deceive myself. So the only thing you and I can do is come to this place of humility that says, Oh, God, you've got to change my heart. I can't even change my heart, God. I can't change this. Because if I, I mean, even the things, I, there's so much I don't see. God, please change my heart. Can we make that our prayer? To say, oh, Lord, I, I admit, I lie to myself. I admit that, God, I can't see myself clearly. I, I, don't, I lack the vision there. So I'm asking you, God, please change my heart. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you honest, Lord, and I'm, honestly, I'm honest about my dishonesty. <laughs> but the most I can say is I, I want to be honest, but I know I'm not 100% honest. Honestly. Honestly. James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is a key verse today for us today. God opposes, everybody say, everybody read it with me. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride says, I can know my own heart and that I have myself all figured out. That's what pride says. Pride says, I can clean myself up and make myself good enough for God. Pride says, I got this. Pride says that God wants me to be happy. And that somehow my happiness is God's goal. Which really makes it all about me. 
Pride makes ministry about me, like right now. My pride says, I hope you like my sermon. That's pride. Pride makes a parent control their child because if my kid does something that's bad, that's a reflection on me, and I don't want to be embarrassed by my kid, so I control. That's pride. Pride is what enables a husband to sit on the couch while his wife is doing housework because, you know, hey, I've done my part. That's pride. Pride says, I'll wait for you to acknowledge, you to apologize first. Then maybe I'll think about apologizing. Pride. Pride is the reason that we have rebellion. Pride is what makes me impatient with you because somehow you have interfered with my schedule, and obviously my schedule is more important than your schedule, and that's why I'm impatient. Pride. Pride is literally at the root of everything that divides us. And it influences you and me more than you know. And pride says, oh, no, it doesn't. See, the greatest hindrance to you is you. Self is at the root of all of our problems. And it's why Jesus told us that we have to die to ourselves. It's why that. Because every conflict that we have as a result of myself bumping into somebody else's self. Every broken relationship is the result of self getting in the way. Every addiction, the root of addiction is self. Because I'm trying to satisfy my needs my way. Self. Truly, I love Roy Hesse, and I've mentioned him before. He's one of my favorite old guys. My favorite dead guys, we'll put it that way. But uh, he wrote this little teeny book called The Calvary Road. Just uh, really a change, just a powerful, powerful little book. But he says, the only victory worth anything is the conquest of self. I come back to that a lot. You see, you and I were never created to operate independent of God. He created it so that we would be dependent upon him. Remember, Jesus said that he is the vine and we are the branches. And so a branch that's separated from the vine is nothing more than a stick. It's dead. In order for life to have happen, I've got to be connected to the vine. We're created to be connected to the vine. And what we have happening in our world today is a bunch of sticks running around this planet trying to do our own thing, doing whatever seems right in our own eyes and wondering why it doesn't work out. We're like billiard balls bouncing against one another in the pool table, knocking into each other until we fall into a hole. But the truth is, the truth is, that's not the way it's meant to be. God didn't intend for that all of these selves running around. You see why God opposes pride? God opposes pride for a couple of reasons. The first is he opposes pride because it gets in the way of intimacy. It soils relationships. And God loves relationships. He's a relationship God. You get that? And so he hates pride, because not because he's trying to spoil your fun. He hates pride because it ruins relationships. And he loves them. He also, he also hates pride because your pride, listen, your pride is getting in the way of your destiny. Your pride is stealing your inheritance from you. 
God has something so incredible for you that the only way for you to get it is to die to yourself. But you have to die to yourself because it's so awesome. Because you're so awesome. But if you know how awesome you are and you act as though you're so awesome, you just do more harm than good. I don't know if I'm making any sense here. But that's why God doesn't like pride. Because it gets in the way of intimacy. Pride's like the fly in your soup. You know, now the whole bowl's ruined. I got to get rid of it. But the truth is that pride is so subtle. I'm not talking about you and me being cocky jerks here. That's not at all. That's obvious. We all know. That's, you understand what I'm talking about, right? I'm not talking about the obvious pride. I'm talking about the sneaky pride. It's, it's, like, it's like the way I play my guitar. Okay, so, you know, my ear, my musical ear, it's not super fine-tuned. I can tell when it's way off. Like the first couple of weeks of American Idol and those guys that think they can sing but they really can't sing. Yeah, I know they can't sing. You can hear that. That's really bad. But when, I'm, but when my guitar is just slightly out of tune, I can't hear that. So I'm just playing away and I just have a grand old time. Love you, Jesus, singing away, just playing my out of tune guitar, loving on the Lord. And then my wife, who has perfect pitch, walks into the room and she goes, makes his face. She goes, you know, your G string is a little flat. And I'm like, okay, well, here, I hand her the guitar, and she tunes it, hands it back. It's beautiful. I'm like, wow, what happened to my guitar? It's amazing. I've been playing it out of tune all this time, you know? Listen, it's like we've lived with pride for so long. We've been playing the guitar out of tune for so long that bad sounds good. That's the kind of pride I'm talking about. I'm exposing the fact that your guitar's out of tune. You, you catch that? It's a little flat. And we've got to fix that. So I approach God in prayer. Here's what happens. I approach God in prayer, and I'm thinking it sounds good. Man, I'm throwing up a great one here. I'm feeling it. The warm fuzzies. The angels are singing. Whoo, God, this is a great prayer. I'm doing it. And then... I wonder why doesn't God answer it? Because, man, I really felt that one. So why didn't God answer that prayer? Why does God still feel far away? Sounds good to me. Right. Sounds good to me. The truth is, why can't I hear God's voice? I come back to, God opposes the proud. Gives grace to the humble. That distance, it reveals something about a condition in my own heart that God wants to deal with. And you see, there's three different kinds of approaches to that. A, a, a religious person, a religious person will tell you that, well, you're not hearing God's voice because um, he doesn't work that way anymore. That's what a religious person will tell you. They'll say, yeah, he used to talk to people like that back in the Bible, but not anymore. Now you're just supposed to study the Bible and do good deeds, and that's it. A secular person will tell you that you're crazy for even wanting to hear God's voice because 
they just live only in a material world, and you're just talking to yourself, basically. That's a secular person. And then a spiritual person, you know the one who's spiritual but not religious? A lot of those floating around. They'll tell you, well, you can hear God just by listening and following your own heart. Your feelings are God. And a spiritual person grabs almost really for anything. Red cardinals after a funeral or rainbows or clouds shaped like angels or whatever it is. They're they're looking for all kinds of stuff. And and the truth is, a spiritual person is so watered down the process and it's so out of touch with truth that they just live in lies. No, 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 no. Then Jesus comes along. And you know I love Jesus. So Jesus, yay. You know, he came to die for our sins. He did. And I'm so thankful that he did that. But Jesus also showed us what a relationship can look like when pride is removed. Jesus showed us what it looks like when a person dies to themselves. He, he showed us what it looks like when, um, when humility enters into a relationship and how that works. Because a relationship with pride is destined to be destroyed. But a relationship with humility present, oh man, that's one that's going to last the ages. Jesus showed us what humility looks like in a relationship. Um, so Jesus invited us to know the Father. He invited us to learn from him. I like this verse in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and I'm humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you. Learn. So Jesus says, you learn. You can learn humility from me. You learn humility. You pick it up. You catch it by hanging out with Jesus. You catch humility. I love that saying, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. You know, it's a yoke is what... You used to yoke together two oxen. You know, old farmers in the old days before tractors, you, you run your plow with a pair of oxen, and they had to be yoked together. And, and back then, farmers would actually, it would take a while to train a good team of oxen. You don't just put two oxen together, and they just plow a straight furrow. It, they had to train them. And so the way that they would train them is they would take an older oxen and they would yoke them up to a younger ox. I shouldn't say oxen. That's, that's a plural, isn't it? Oxen, boxen. Anyway, so ox, take an older ox and you yoke them up with a younger ox. And the younger ox, you know, he's all full of spitfire. He's snorting and pawing at the ground and he's got all of his energy and no place to go because now he's strapped in a yoke. And the old ox is looking at him like, dude, I'm so over that, chewing his cud. And after a little while, the young ox would begin to pick up the old ox's ways. And he would settle into the yoke and learn how to plow the field right. Jesus is saying he's the older ox. You see that? He says, yoke with me. You're the young spitfire ox. You're the young ox, all full of pride, 
all full of self. You think you got the world by the tail. You got it all under control. You're so cool. You're so hip. You got, you're that young ox. And Jesus goes, dude, I'm over that. Yoke up with me. Learn my ways. Learn how to do this as you walk alongside of me. Hitch up with Jesus, and he'll teach you how to die to yourself. He'll teach you in order. He'll teach you how to live a life abundant. We're talking about hearing God's voice. That's what we're talking about. Let's not forget that. What I'm saying is that my inability to hear God's voice, it reveals the condition of my heart. God can't answer my pride. What I'm saying is that God, Jehovah Roy, he sees me. And he sees me better than I can see me. And I might not think that I'm approaching him with pride in my heart. But he actually knows what's really going on. And perhaps God feels distant because I have pride in my heart that I can't see. And God opposes pride. So I'm coming to God thinking that everything's cool, but everything's really not cool. Does that make sense? It's why one of the best gifts that God gives to us is to allow our lives to fall apart. Because when my life falls apart, I realize it was built on sand. Oh yeah, I'm the king of the castle, but it's a sand castle. And now it's washed away and I'm no king at all, I'm just a joker. So what do I do? You following? Well, what do I do? For starters, I get to know Jesus. Yoke up with Jesus. Start hanging out with Jesus. Learn, learn humility from Jesus. I have a suggestion for you. Why not spend an entire year doing nothing in your quiet time except reading the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. Only read the Gospels for an entire year. If you read three chapters a day of the Gospels, you'll end up reading them four times this year. Read through all four of them, four times in one year. And as you read them, don't just read them, but read them looking for the humility of Jesus. Notice his humility. Notice. Notice how Jesus stays up late at night to answer dumb questions from Nicodemus. Notice how Jesus stops an entire crowd because a lady with an issue of blood touches the hem of his robe. Notice how Jesus stands in front of King Herod, the king. And King Herod is taunting him, and he wants him to do a miracle, do a trick. And Jesus stands quiet. Notice. Jesus didn't play his game. Humility. Read his life. Look at his humility. Learn from Jesus. That's what, that's what we're talking about. Yoke up with him. Yoke up. Say, Jesus, I need to learn this die-to-self thing because I'm not doing it so good. So I'm going to yoke up with you and look at how you do this so that I can begin to follow in your footsteps. And Humble yourself before God. At least admit that I don't see it all. At least admit that maybe 
I might have a few areas of pride that need to get worked on. At least admit that. First Peter, I love how First Peter puts it. Chapter 5, he says, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Isn't that kind of cool? That's kind of like the young ox with the old ox, right? So now only the old ox is the old guys. And the young ox is, be submissive to those who are older. And he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety upon him, for he cares for you. Isn't that neat? Older, younger guys yoke up with older guys. And actually, women, we can apply the same thing. Young ladies elsewhere in Scripture were actually told for older women and younger women to work together. Young women, submit yourselves to older women. Learn how to do it from older women. Seek them out to disciple you. You know, the very act of you seeking out someone is humbling, isn't it? I have to, oh yeah, so I'll be honest, the Lord really convicted me on that point here a couple days ago. Um, I've never gone back to school, and part of the reason why I've not gone back to school is because I've Figured I didn't really need it. And the Lord goes, that's pride. And, uh, and I've heard other people ask, well, is anybody mentoring you? And I don't have anybody mentoring me. And I haven't, I figured, well, that's because I'm the pastor. And, you, just, you know, I do the mentoring. I don't get mentored. And that's pride. Anyway, God dealt with me on that one this week. The very act of you seeking out somebody is humbling. It's, it's. So, the second thing in this scripture is this. Notice that humility is a choice. We're told to actually humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. I make the choice to do that. That's counterintuitive because I'm just not used to doing it. Everything in me says that I need to promote myself. I need to look out for number one, look out for myself. Because if I don't look out for myself, nobody else will. That's what I do. But God is actually asking me to humble myself under him and then wait for him to raise me up. And that causes a lot of anxiety. Because what if God doesn't do it? See where the anxiety comes in? Think about it, like single people. You want to get married, and that's a good desire. Oh, having a, that's a good desire to get married. Humble yourself before God. Wait on God. Oh, but that makes you anxious. Because what if the guy that God's talking to about me isn't listening to God? Now I'm stuck. i got to make this happen. Can't do that. Every part of you wants to control the process and make it happen. That's pride. God opposes pride. God cannot bless my efforts if they're driven by pride. Life group leaders. You're leading a small group, a life group. 
grow zone teachers, you're teaching, you're teaching this. This happens in ministry all the time. You want the people under your care to grow in their relationship with Jesus. That's a good desire. I want them to grow. You know, you want the youth group to grow in the Lord. That's awesome. Humble yourself before God, be faithful, and then wait on God for the results. But that makes you anxious because the people just aren't getting it. These kids are never going to mature. I got this person that can't even pray out loud. I got this person that never reads their Bible. I got this kid that's picking his nose. I got that one going on there, this one doing that. They're never going to grow. Yeah. And so everything in you wants to take control of it and lead more forcefully in order to make it happen, right? But that's pride. God opposes pride. God cannot bless my efforts if they're driven by pride. And then I wonder why I'm spinning my wheels in ministry. That's why. Parents, you want your kids to grow up and love Jesus and be decent human beings. Humble yourself before God and wait on Him. But that makes you anxious because your kids aren't getting it. And every part of you wants to control their behavior. So you manipulate. I'm the best at that. Manipulating with guilt and shame. It works great in the home. You can get kids to do a lot with guilt. But that's pride. God opposes pride. God can't bless your efforts when they're driven by pride. On and on it goes. Pride inhibits my ability to connect with God. It inhibits my ability to hear from God. One more scripture verse, and then I'm going to close, okay? I promise. 2 Samuel chapter 22. The Lord actually gave me this scripture last Sunday morning, just before the service. And I was reading it, and I was toying with the idea of saying, talking about it last Sunday. But I really couldn't figure it out because it kind of left me confounded a little bit. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 26. Look at this scripture verse. It's, so to the faithful you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. What? You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. So I kind of get the first part. To the faithful, God looks faithful. To the pure, God looks pure. To, but to the devious, God comes off as shrewd. So I talked with a few of you about that this week. And the elders, we even prayed about it Thursday morning. We're like, what is this? And the word shrewd. So the word shrewd, it means having sharp perception. Being able to really see right to the heart of the matter. You're shrewd. And of course, devious, I, I'm, I'm thinking I've pulled one over on God. Devious person thinks I've got this under control. I got it. So I can, I can give God, I can look a certain way, and I can actually fool God with how I look. I can look pious and look religious, but you see God's shrewd. God sees through it. Remember, he's Jehovah Roy. He sees. So the gig is up. 
So the best thing I can do, the most honest thing I can do, is to admit to God that I don't have myself all figured out and that I'm trying to be honest, but I'm probably not 100% honest, and I can admit that before God. Um, here's a practical. This, is, this, this past Wednesday night. Do you want to come play for me? I think it's in tune. Okay. You would know. So... I couldn't tell. This past Wednesday night in our men's group, uh, we had this awesome time together. Uh, each, one of our, each one of our men prayed for each other, and God was working in some really cool ways. I mean, it was really, really awesome. Every guy got prayed for. It was a great night. And, and I prayed for one guy, and the Spirit moved prophetically. And I prayed about things that he had not shared in a very long time. It was as though I could read his mind. But you know, it wasn't me, obviously. The Spirit saw him, and the Spirit was calling that out. That's all. It was very powerful, though. He was crying and everything. I love it when we cry. It's great. My wife says, you don't think it's a good church service unless people are crying. Sometimes it's true. So, but I mean, this guy was crying. It was was great. It was a powerful moment. So you know what I do? Bonehead that I am. We go on. We're praying for the next guy. And you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, I'm on a roll. Man, I'm too hot. Can't touch this. Put my hand on him. We're going to pray. It's going to be good. The power of God's going to fall. And you know what? Nothing happened, as you can predict, as you would know. Well, yeah, Doug, you just stopped up that pipe. You kinked up the hose real good. Yeah, I did. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, and I'm embarrassed because I'm thinking, well, that was really good. Why isn't this one as good? God, it's got to be a good one. Give me another good one, God. Another good one. Another good one. Nothing. Nothing left me hanging by my own rope it's pride it's pride do you see why this is so important we're not talking about the obvious pride we're talking about the subtle kind of pride that's even more deadly in our relationships than the obvious stuff it's the pride that gets in the way because friends when we die to ourselves you know what we're at our best when we're not thinking about ourselves that's when we're at our best We're at our best when we're fixed on Jesus. We're focused on Him, and we're going where He's leading. That's when we're at our best. But then we get in the way because that starts going good, and then I want to control it because, boy, that was really good. I want that to happen again. And then I mess it up again. Ah! So listen, God, save us from our pride. I I want to encourage you to try something this week. Let me say this, add this. Most of the time, most of the time I'm so busy trying to get God to bless what I'm doing that I miss what God is doing. So I need to let go of my plan. I want God's plan. So I want to encourage you to try something this week in your prayer. Okay? 
let go of your prayer list. It's, it's a good list. I'm not downplaying your list. I'm not at all. It's a great list. Just let go of it for a week. Let go of your prayer list. And instead, when you go to prayer, try to picture in your mind where God is concerned. Where is God at work? Before you even pray anything, before you even start talking about anything, first try to picture in your mind, okay, God, where, where are your eyes? Where are you at work? You know, you know what happened to me two weeks ago? I was praying, I was praying like this, and, and, and I really felt really strong in my heart, like God was concerned about North Korea. You know, I, that's not how I pray. That's not me. I'm not an intercessor like that. I don't usually pray around the world. Other people pray for missionaries. That's really not me, typically. But I felt like God's heart was burdened for North Korea and that, and that he's excited. What, what I felt was God's heart is excited about North Korea because it's, it's about to open up and we're about to discover that there are hundreds of thousands of Christians there that have been hidden under the radar for all these years and they're about to like pop up out of the surface and we're going to see them. And, and you're about to see a revival in, in North Korea. I mean, it's just, I don't know. I sensed that as I was praying. So my heart was really excited, like, oh, God, yeah, do that. Open it up. It's going to be great. It's gonna be... See what I mean? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Let go of your list for a week. And when you go to prayer, ask God, try to get a picture for where God is working. And then let that influence how you pray and what you pray about. Does that make sense? So that's the challenge for us this week. I just want to give you that little practical piece as we walk away. Because you know what that does? Is that takes my eyes off of me. And, and it really focuses them on Jesus and where he's moving. Because I want to join him in where he's going. And that's what we're talking about here. So Lord, I, Lord, I admit to you, I don't have this all figured out. And... I confess to you, Lord, that I am quick to mess it up with pride. It sneaks in there because I want to look good. Oh, God, forgive me for that. Lord God, we, uh, Jesus, we, we, we say to you, we want to yoke up with you today and learn from you how to be humble, how to, how to die to ourselves. And, yeah, teach us how to do that, Jesus. And, um, and Lord, I pray that... Uh, that you would bless my friends as this week we strive to to find out where you're working in prayer and join you there. So teach us that, Lord, I pray. And we're excited to see where it is you're going to lead us. I know it's good. Your ideas are far better than mine, Father. I want yours. I want yours. In Jesus' name we pray.